Okay, good evening. Welcome to another exciting episode of Get Rominger on the Phone. Uh, do I have a whack pack? I think I do. I have the three wise men of Facebook. And, uh, you know, these are Howard's guys. I can't tell you what my guys look like because you know how it works on the internet. You never really know what somebody looks like or doesn't look like. Uh, but yeah, yeah, my little whack pack. Um, should I call him my whack pack? Sure, let's give him a name. The three wise men of Facebook. And anyhow, I'm done with those guys for today. Uh, now, really, they helped inspire the show because one of the three wise men was trying to explain today that the Dobbs decision just means that the federal government has nothing to do with abortion anymore. So why do we care what Lindsey Graham is up to? Uh, so tonight's show is kind of what does the Dobbs decision do? What does the Dobbs decision mean? What does the Dobbs decision implicate? So let me start from the beginning. If you are an auto mechanic, you probably spent a lot of time learning how to fix a car. And you had to learn all kinds of things about how the systems work, why everything is where it is, what you have to get to, how to get under the hood. Constitutional law, you'll hear people say, oh, it's not in the Constitution, therefore, or it's in the Constitution, therefore. If you hear somebody say that, you already know they don't know anything about constitutional law. Saying something is or isn't in the Constitution, okay? If you read your Constitution, go ahead, unfold it, get it out, look at the Sixth Amendment. It says you have the right to a jury trial in all criminal matters. It's, it's pretty simple, it's plain English. In all matters, you know, criminal proceedings, you have the right to a jury trial. No, not really true. Only in criminal matters where you face more than six months in prison. So Pennsylvania, the legislature, when they're picking how long to criminalize some first and second offense DUIs, they went ahead and made it six months. Why? Because they want to make sure you couldn't ask for a jury. Traffic tickets rarely carry enough time. Most carry 90 days in jail. Most summary offenses, therefore, even though it's a criminal matter and you can go to jail and have a criminal record and lose your rights, you can't get a jury trial. Because if you think what the Constitution literally says controls, you already don't understand it. And some of you are going to say, no, that's why Donald Trump appointed these guys, Carl. Donald Trump brought these guys in. Donald Trump brought these guys in to fix it. So it ain't like that anymore. No, no, that's really not what they're doing. They are interpreting, if they're textualists, the text of the Constitution, if they're originalists, they're using original origin stories. So in the Dobbs decision, for instance, we're talking about um, what doctors did in the 1300s, so we better understand uh, what we should be doing today. At the time, the Constitution was written, so they're trying to look for evidence of that. And so that's how they came up with the thing about jury trials. They said, oh, well, and this is the difference between a textualist and an originalist. And I know some of you guys are going to be like, Carl, I don't want to get this far in the weeds. But one conservative judge who's a textualist would say, well, it literally says you get a jury trial, so you literally get a jury trial no matter how minor the penalty. An originalist like Scalia would say, oh, no, 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 no. Don't worry about what the text says. Worry about what that phrase meant at the time. And at the time, just being locked up for a few days or having your freedom taken for a little bit really wasn't considered a criminal penalty. And so clearly the founders didn't mean for that thing that says all criminal penalties, you know, anything that carries a criminal penalty gets you a jury trial. They didn't literally mean that because in the originalist interpretation, well, we look at what were they available in the states at the time? Were they available in the colonies? What would happen to you in England? What would happen to you on the plantation? You know, all these things. Oh, look, you don't get that. So any one of you who says 
or has somebody say to you, it's in the Constitution or it's not in the Constitution, and that's how constitutional law is decided, you're just dead wrong. So how can I convince you otherwise? Well, I guess you should probably get up off your butt, pay some tuition, go to law school, sit through a couple years of constitutional law, learn how to read law from the beginning. And, and of course, some of you say, oh, you're hiding behind this ivory elitist tower. No, I'm like the auto mechanic who's telling the lady, this is what you need to do for your car because otherwise it will stop working. And the person says, well, why would I do that? Well, maybe because I'm an auto mechanic and I know a few things about autos and I can tell you that based on my experience and how these things work. And maybe the physics of the universe applies to the engine that's in your car. And by the way, uh, this same wise guy said, oh, well, you're not being empirical. There's no empirical analysis in the law. It's all linguistics. It's all banter. It's all what you want it to be. You guys know what obiter dictum is? Dicta, obiter dictum. We're going to come back to that in a minute. Uh, but let's talk about what the Dobbs decision did. It was substantive due process. That was the issue. Abortion is legal or illegal, as the case may be, turning on the issue of substantive due process. So in Roe and in cases like Loving versus Virginia, uh, interracial marriage, well, maybe not Loving so much, right? But later in the gay marriage case and in the gay sex case and in the um, uh, contraception case, the right to use contraception, the court based it on a framework of something called substantive due process, which I believe Scalia calls an oxymoron or somebody does, maybe Thomas calls it an oxymoron. The idea of substantive due process, right? Okay, definition, please. Uh, I would like one of the three wise men to explain it to me, see? Because that's where things break down. Even lawyers can't agree. So some judges found that it exists. Some other judges say it doesn't exist. Currently, judges say it doesn't exist, but it does exist for some cases. Um, Clarence Thomas calls uh, something what it is and says, well, wait a minute, if we're throwing out the Roe v. Wade logic of substantive due process, then we should throw out all the other substantive due process language as well. So that's basically uh, what he's saying, right? So, so no mystery here. Substitute due process is this, just this concept of where they found the right of privacy. Now we're saying we don't have that substantive due process or it doesn't exist or there's no right of privacy to be found under it. And therefore, the states can do what they want under the rational basis standard. See, because that's the question in constitutional law is, does it apply to the states? So state, a state law is always subject to a constitutional question under the rational basis. So if there's no rational basis for the law and it burdens somebody, it would meet the lowest level of scrutiny and the court would throw it out. The problem with rational basis is you don't have to be right. You just have to be able to articulate your reasoning. So it's almost a worthless standard, right? Uh, if a state has no rational reason or no way to articulate why they want to do what they want to do, and even if it's wrong, as long as they can articulate it, you can't overturn it. That's where we went with abortion. We went from strict scrutiny, an important right, okay? We skipped down past intermediate scrutiny, which is in the middle, those are in special cases, all the way down to regulate the states any way you want uh, in the state without reaching the Constitution. So that leaves open the question, why did Lindsey Graham, a smart guy, bring a bill into the Senate to say, I want to regulate abortion and I want to make all abortions in America illegal after 15 weeks? Very simple reason. He wants to use the Commerce Clause, equal protection, and I would suggest 
Uh, Congress could also use what's called a necessary and proper clause to invoke their powers to regulate abortion nationwide. But Carl Dobbs sent the case back to the states, right? It sent the case back to the states. No, no, it didn't. It didn't send the case back to the states. All right. It did not send the case back to the states. It simply said that the federal courts can't regulate what the states do under the substantive due process clause because there's no privacy right to an abortion. So you're misunderstanding the entire federalist system if you think Dobbs threw it back to the states. Now, there is an argument to be made and will be made if this is litigated that the Commerce Clause, Equal Protection, and Necessary and Proper Clauses or whatever other argument Congress might use to justify laws on abortion might fail. It's possible. It's an open question in some regard. But let me ask you this. Does Congress regulate the drugs you can take? Yes. Does Congress regulate the safety of your food supply? Yes. Does Congress regulate the emissions in your tailpipe? You know, I hear people complaining about being mandated to electric cars. I'm not going to be mandated to own an electric car. I'm not going to let the government tell me how I can own a car and what it can do. Really? Because you let them put a catalytic converter in there that changes the engine configuration, the power and everything. You let them put limits on all kinds of things in your car. Even the size of your gas tank is regulated in your car. Okay. So this, I'm a man of, uh, of uh, freedom and I will not be forced into an electric car. I have the absolute right to drive what I want, even though I've been buying and using what's been mandated for me for years in the configuration that's been mandated for me for years. So you're not this freedom loving uh, cowboy that you think you are. You're tooling around in a car that the government has already mandated how it's going to be designed. What's my point on this? The government mandates lots of things you do. You can't get experimental drugs if you want them, right? There's a compassionate program now, but you have to go through a lawful system. Uh, the federal government as can regulate all kinds of aspects of your life. Now, there are times when courts have found that the federal government's engaging in overreach. It's hard to say where that line is going to be drawn in any given case. Uh, the Commerce Clause has been thrown out by the Supreme Court. But if you have originalists and you have people that are textualists, et cetera, the Necessary and Proper Clause, what does that mean? It says Congress can create any law that's necessary and proper. So Congress could simply invoke necessary and proper and say, we believe that in order to have conformity and we don't want to have disarray in the country with people going back and forth across state lines, fearing criminal prosecutions, we're going to just go ahead and create the groundwork for how it should work everywhere. That way we can solve a big societal problem with a series of laws. Is that not in their necessary and proper clause power, right? They can do anything they want under the necessary and proper clause. That was almost litigated in the Obamacare case. I don't think it was really litigated, but it was almost litigated. Go back and read those cases. Uh, I know tonight's a really boring show. It's a really boring show because we're dealing with facts and information instead of the uh, BS that you get on Facebook where people tell you, oh, it's really simple. It just, this is really what happened. It's not really simple. Why is it not really simple? It's not really simple because Dobbs was just a case on the substantive due process clause. The justices didn't even agree, okay? Clarence Thomas said one thing, uh, Alito said another. I think I said Scalia earlier. Alito, Scalito, whatever. Um, they, they both said whatever they said, right? And then John Roberts joined not with them completely, saying he had different reasoning and he wouldn't have completely gone where they went. 
But then they made pains, the majority did, to say, but we're, we're getting rid of the substantive due process framework, but we're not really getting rid of the substantive due process framework. That's what Clarence Thomas called them out and said, you know, you, you, you can't throw part of the bathwater out or half the baby or whatever the case may be. You're dumping substantive due process. And we have a whole bunch of decisions that Americans might like or dislike that are based on this that will need to be revisited. Uh, so they couldn't even agree there, but it was about substantive due process. That's it. So when you're in law school, the professor says to you, uh, Mr. Rominger, what was the holding in the case of Smith v. Smith? And you'd say, uh, well, the holding of Smith v. Smith was that uh, the Gruber analysis applies in all Pennsylvania child custody cases, regardless of the length of the fill in the blank, whatever that case says, right? Gruber analysis is another case. It's a whole custody thing in Pennsylvania. Gruber's kind of been, you know. Uh, long story short, where am I going with this? The sh point is, there's the holding. So if you're in law school today, Mr. Rominger, what was the holding of the Dobbs case? Well, Your Honor, the holding, or the judge, or, you know, Professor Smith, the holding of the Dobbs case is pretty simple. There is no substantive due process right, which creates a right of privacy, which triggers a level of heightened scrutiny if a state regulates abortion. Congratulations, Mr. Rominger, you got the question exactly right. See, the whole case is distilled down because that's what you do in law school. You learn how to take a whole case and figure out what was at issue in the case. All the rest of the writing, right? I gave it in like 10 words. All the rest of the writing is called obiter dictum, right? Obiter dictum, dicta. Let me read something. A comment, suggestion, or observation made by a judge in an opinion that is not necessary to resolve the case and as such is not legally binding other courts, but it still may be cited as persuasive authority in future litigation. Also referred to as dictum, dicta, dick, dicta, and judicial dicta. A dissenting opinion is also generally considered obiter dictum. Uh, subject matter of obiter dictum varies greatly, include discussions of hypothetical facts, cases, or laws, or even condemnation of other opinions. Legal scholars commonly disagree to what exactly constitute dicta as opposed to statements of binding president or authority in a given case. That's where a lawyer makes his hay. He says, well, Rominger said that was the holding, but there's this little bit of dicta, right? And we're going to pull that in and say that was really the holding. So there's always flexibility in case law. So once again, people want empirical results. That's not how it works. In fact, let me go a little further. <sighs> Though unnecessary, dicta are still studied and valued for their potential usefulness. Dicta are frequently incorporated in later opinions and sometimes even serve as the basis of those opinions. You see where we're going with this? An example of this is United States versus Caroline products, where Justice Harlan Stone suggested in the now famous footnote four that a legal rule more stringent than the rational basis test be applied in hypothetical future situations. Okay? So, guy. Judge puts a footnote in there. It's completely dicta, means nothing, not binding precedent. The language of footnote four eventually served as the basis for the doctrine of strict scrutiny. Why did I mention strict scrutiny, right? Strict scrutiny used to apply before Dobbs to abortion and state regulation. Now strict scrutiny is done and we're at rational basis, but it has nothing to do with Congress's power. So Lindsey Graham, Lindsey Graham can in fact regulate abortion. If you vote for Dr. Oz and he says he's going to vote one way or another on the abortion issue, or if you vote for 
Mr. Fetterman, he says go about one way or the other on the abortion issue. That could make a difference on the abortion issue because Congress has that power. There are some people, one party in particular, my party, who's running a little scared on the abortion issue because they picked the wrong side versus what a majority of the population wants in a lot of these areas. Not all areas, but in some areas. Uh, and in Kansas, we saw a rejection of, of, of kind of what Lindsey Graham wants to do, which is regulate, further regulate abortion. And as a result, the politicians really don't want you to know that this question could be answered by Congress because it, well, the Democrats want you to know that. The Republicans don't really want you to think too much about that. We should think more about inflation, economic issues, and the fact that Joe Biden is completely senile and out of his mind, um, which is obvious, I hopefully, to anybody who watches him talk. Uh, but that said, how you vote for Senate or Congressman or woman will and can affect the abortion uh, uh, makeup. Now, Senate also, because they pick the Supreme Court justices, and trust me, it's not hard to reverse precedent. All this, all this garbage, by the way, about the law is sacred and the court goes through all these machinations. It's pretty simple. Donald Trump picked people who would overrule abortion. And what did they do? They overruled abortion, right? Because it's been the plan. Surprise, surprise. The Democrats take power. They're going to pick people that will bring uh, uh, more uh, uh, scrutiny to state abortion laws back. Right. Because remember, I told you before, judges are like wind up toys. Find a judge, find an issue, find a judge whose legal thinking will prevail on that issue. Wind him up and he wobbles forward. Now, I mean, not on a perfect straight line, but he'll pretty much get to the other side of the room like that little car used to wind up. OK, it's pretty simple. So it's not rocket science. Uh, both sides can do this. So who you vote for Senate could make a big difference. Um, Wayne wants to ask a question. It has nothing to do with what we're talking about. Well, it's the abortion show, Wayne, but go ahead. Type a question in here. Type a question and I'll fire it. I'll fire you an answer here because I got, I'm going to go off topic for one minute. Uh, I was watching Tucker Carlson earlier tonight, and that's why I moved the show back a little bit so we can all enjoy our Tucker time. And you know, guys know I love my Tucker time. And Tucker was defending his greatest advertiser, Mike Lindell, right? The MyPillow guy. And what, what Tucker's mad about is they took Mike Lindell's phone at the Hardee's parking lot. By the way, did you hear what Hardee's tweeted? Hardee's tweeted something along the lines of, now that you know we exist, check out our pillowy biscuits. Pillowy, see what they did there? Pretty clever, right? The fast food joints have the snarkiest uh, Twitter feeds. Mike Lindell's phone was taken by a warrant, and it names him as a co-conspirator. There was an election office broken into, there was a machine hacked, there's a bunch of data missing going around. Uh, so apparently whatever happened out in Colorado, somehow Lindell's linked in with these people as a conspirator. A judge signed the warrant, it was asked for by a grand jury. It may turn out to be, you know, I used to defend people and a lot of times you find out the government has it all wrong. Uh, Mike Lindell said the FBI were nice guys. They treated him very nicely. They took his phone, probably did what they need to do with it. Uh, but does that mean Mike Lindell is guilty of anything or innocent of anything? No, but it means the heat's being turned up on the whole election fraud argument and what I call a grift. Uh, but I did want to say that I find it ironic that Tucker Carlson isn't recusing himself from that question because Mike Lindell runs his ads nonstop during Tucker's show, right? And Tucker's 
gazillion dollar, multi-billion dollar, multi-million dollar, not billion dollar. He's not, he's not Howard Stern, folks, right? Tucker does not make near Howard Stern money. But he doesn't need that because remember, he's an heir to the Swanson fortune because he's just like you and I. He went to a boarding school and all those sorts of things. But he's an everyman. Uh, just believe him. Uh, Mike Lindell actually is an everyman who made it. He's uh, probably back guano crazy, if I had to guess. But what do I know? Um, very successful with what he did. I like I like his product, right? My pillow. Maybe they'll sponsor this show someday. Um, the Dobbs decision. Well, here, let's see. Dwayne's got my. Uh, okay. Dwayne wants to disband the CIA, FBI, ATF. They need to be disbanded. Uh, William, I am. I'm not doing. Uh, I'm not doing calls tonight. I was going to do calls tonight, but we're running out of time because this show is to be short. This show is to be on point. What I want people to know, what I want you to take away from tonight's show, all right? What I want you to take away from tonight's show, besides the fact that Doug Mastriano loves your uterus more than you do, which is just one of the segments that we always do because we want to make sure you know that if you have a uterus, Doug loves it. And you know who I'm talking about, Doug Mastriano for governor of Pennsylvania, right? He really wants to get in there and regulate it completely. Whether your life's in danger or not, he doesn't care. He wants to make sure that he's in charge. And if he's governor, he'll sign that bill. And what bill am I talking about? Well, it's a very different bill than the one Congress is proposing, right? Congress is proposing, this, to be fair, Lindsey Graham is saying, I'll put a ceiling on abortion. States can do what they want. So you'd still be at the mercy of what Doug Mastriano wants to do whether he'd be more restrictive or not. I guess probably have a feeling, you know, you know where I fall on this. Uh, I don't have a uterus, so I think it's between a woman and her doctor. By the way, 90, according to Wall Street Journal today, 90 some percent of all abortions go before 15 weeks. So it's only a small percentage of the abortions that actually occur that we're talking about beyond 15 weeks. Uh, the Democrats, I think, want to go out to 23 weeks viability, which is the old Roe standard. So that's where we're at. That's where we're at. Just remember this. If someone says to you, abortion is back in the hands of the states, the answer is kind of because there's no constitutional question about their ability to regulate abortion to a great extent. Roe was overturned by the Dobbs decision. But Dobbs does not say that it's a state issue or it stays in the states. It merely sends it back to the states. Congress can preempt. Congress can preempt many things. Your car is regulated by Congress, not by the state. Oh, actually, it's regulated by both. I don't know if you know that or not. Your insurance law for your car is mainly regulated by the state because the feds have chosen not to preempt a lot of the state insurance laws. But they could easily, under the Commerce Clause, at any time, by the very power of the Constitution. The Constitution that you can't just look at what's written in there or not written in there. Well, I don't say the word abortion in the Constitution, so you know the Constitution's got nothing to do with abortions. I don't say the word murder in the Constitution, but somehow the Constitution has a lot to do with murder cases. Come on. And let's not hate people with technical expertise, okay? Don't hate me because I know more about constitutional law than a lot of the people I know, right? That's my training. On the other hand, my mechanic knows more about my car than I'll ever know, right? And, and I don't doubt that. When he or she tells me something, when I go see my doctor and she says, Carl, this is what's going on in your insides. I don't go, 
oh, well, I just have a strong belief or a strong feeling that the MRI would come out this way because, you know, that's what I really believe. It doesn't work like that. Same thing with the Constitution. There's no empirical facts. And, and you guys should see this already. Now, I want you to remember something. Remember I said about these little wind-up toys? Trump picked these guys to overturn abortion, and he was successful. He was successful. But his judges are already disagreeing on a lot of things because Gorsuch, right, he's a real strict textualist. So he comes to one result. Um, whereas uh, the guy likes to drink a lot of beer and harass girls. I forget what his name is. He likes to come to conclusions. Uh, I mean, none of that was actually proven, right? I mean, the woman just said it happened to her, and that's not proof of anything. Uh, Kavanaugh likes to say, oh, you know, no, I kind of reached a different decision than you, Judge Gorsuch. Now, both judges were picked to be conservative Supreme Court justices vetted by the federal society. How could they possibly disagree on anything, right? Because the Constitution is plain as day. It's just stuff written down on paper. They couldn't disagree because it's either in the Constitution or it isn't in the Constitution. Or maybe it's not that simple. Maybe a guy who's more of an originalist and a guy who's more of a textualist, even though they both fall into the general conservative school who will overturn Roe v. Wade, will disagree adamantly on other cases, as it turns out. No surprise to me. No surprise to any lawyer. No surprise to anybody with a strong legal education. All right? Remember that. Don't, don't be a hater. I'm not trying to say I know more than you because of my education, but I do know more than you because of my education. I'm not trying to say it. It's just a fact. Just like if there was a particle physicist sitting here and telling me about particle physics, I would be ill-equipped to tell him or her where they're wrong, right? Because they could be wrong, and I might be wrong too. So I would invite anybody with legal acumen to do this, but if you want to study this, you're going to have to study up the whole concept. So if you don't know what strict scrutiny is, if you don't know what intermediate scrutiny is, you don't know what rational basis is, then you know very little about constitutional law from the writ. Uh, by the way, and I'm going to get in some kind of trouble for saying this, right? And I'm going to get some, some trouble. You guys know the Constitution is a terribly poorly written document, right? <gasps> oh, Carl, how can you say that? It had to be amended 10 times to get passed. Think about that. The Constitution was written. The Bill of Rights, the first 10 amendments, are not part of the Constitution. They are separate. They are amendments. That's the word, amendments. So if the Constitution was handed down by God and it was so greatly written and so perfectly and wonderfully written, why did it take 10 revisions to convince enough of the colonies to adopt it? And the answer is, it's a great document, but it's subject to a lot of scrutiny because, first of all, it talks about slaves and three-fifths of a person. we got to strike some of that stuff out. It doesn't let women vote, right? So by our modern standards, which, I mean, I hope, I mean, some of you probably want to go back to when women couldn't vote and when you could own people's property, right? Maybe not. No, I hope not. Um, I'd love to, love to see one of you guys admit that, right? You're not going to admit it, right? You're not stupid. But here's the point. The point is, the Constitution is just that. It's a document. It doesn't have a definition section. What does a reasonable search or seizure entail? What's reasonable or unreasonable? While some justices say we go back to the history of when the Constitution was founded, and we look at that, and then we determine that. Um, in the 1800s, there was a big shift in the Constitution to allow the search for not just the fruits of a crime, 
but evidence of a crime. So let's go back to Mike Lindell's cell phone. In the 1700s and in the early 1800s, you could not get a warrant for his phone because his phone was not a fruit of the crime. Now, if someone had said, Mike Lindell stole my phone, you could get a warrant to get the phone back or to get the phone to see if it was my phone. But if they just said, Carl did this or Mike did that, and the phone has some evidence, evidentiary value, you couldn't get a warrant for it. Now, that made prosecuting crimes as we grew this professional crime prosecuting system that we, you know, it took root in America. We need to be able to look for fruits of a crime to be more efficient at that, right? So the Supreme Court one day just sort of started letting that happen. About 1870, 1880, I don't know. Hmm, when was that? When was that? 17, 18... Sometimes you'll look and you'll see a lot of things happened when the country was divided and then undivided and then there was issues and the Jim Crow laws came into being and all this stuff about critical race theory and substantive uh, uh, systemic racism and stuff that uh, Ron DeSantis is sure is imaginary and which uh, 1619 Project is sure is the only reason America was founded. I would tell you just like everything else, it's somewhere in between. But a lot of these strengthenings of criminal laws were part of building up a racist prosecutorial system at one point in our history. And you can't get away from the same thing with licensing of marriage. We didn't license marriages until we were worried about interracial marriage. When did that happen? Um, again, look back, study your history, understand how our country actually works. Heaven forbid. But my point is, is the Supreme Court completely took away the MyPillow guy's ability to complain that they took his phone because it's not the fruit of a crime. Somewhere along the line, the Supreme Court just decided that a reasonable search and seizure not only included looking for a fruit of a crime, but actually just any evidence of a crime. Big shift, big shift. So summary, what did Dobbs do? Dobbs changed substantive due process jurisprudence, basically said it doesn't apply for abortion, tries to maybe keep it for other purposes. Clarence Thomas says, eh, we're probably going to get rid of it eventually. Um, remember I said Clarence Thomas likes to get rid of all the progressive decisions except the one that allowed him to marry a white woman, right? He'll keep that one, Loving versus Virginia, because that's just the kind of Scrooge that he is. Uh, can Congress act on abortion? Absolutely. Commerce Clause equal protection. Lindsey Graham's no idiot. He's putting this bill forward. Now, some people think he's an idiot for putting this bill forward right now because it's potentially going to politically hurt the Republicans. Uh, one other theory is that Lindsey Graham is in hot water. He knows he's in hot water. And one of the ways that you protect yourself is to become, you know, I'm I'm being I'm being persecuted for being a good conservative. So he needs to throw out his good conservative credentials and do something to firm things up here. Uh, that's the other theory on why Lindsey Graham has done something that has Mitch McConnell scratching his head. So once again, once again, remember. Your vote for senator, if you want to restrict abortions, you've got to vote for the senator who will restrict abortions. If you want to keep abortion available or don't believe government should be involved in between a woman and a man, a woman and her doctor, uh, and that that's their choice, then you've got to vote for the senator that will do that. Should you vote on one issue? I don't know. That's up to you. You can vote for any reason you want for anybody you want. Really, you can. You can vote for Marjorie Taylor Greene. You can vote for AOC. Uh, I wouldn't vote for either. But you can. You're allowed. It's America. Just because you don't like who somebody's voting for doesn't mean it's an invalid vote, a wrong vote, or a bad vote. All right. So 
I think you should vote for people that are in the side of freedom and on the side of minimal government and on the side of fiscal responsibility. And abortion is going to come down to how you define it. Okay. That's your choice. That's not what tonight's show is about. Tonight's show is about can Congress act? And if anybody tells you they can act, they're being honest with you. If they tell you, no, the Dobbs decision sent it back to the states, these guys are lying to you. No, that's a statement that shows either no knowledge of the Constitution or it's a complete, bold faced, misleading lie. All right. So if you see somebody, and, and please do me a favor, take this show. If you know anybody that's doing an abortion discussion, abortion debate, feel free to clip it in, uh, share the link into the discussion or even to the pages. Uh, I want to get the word out. I want to make sure people understand what their options are. This is more about voter education than anything else at this point. Um, but I saw such bad information coming out of my wise men today um, who are amateur lawyers, right? Because everybody can be a lawyer because you have law and politics intersect a lot. So a lot of people have opinions on things. Um, but the nuance is great. And this just goes back to my entire theme. If you think it's easy, if you think it's simple, you're probably misapprehending the problem because it's probably more complicated than you think it is. All right. Just because it walks like a duck and talks like a duck and sounds like a duck means it's a duck, right? Unless, of course, it's a goose, which is similar to a duck or it's a, you don't even know what a merganser is, right? Because merganser looks like a duck, sounds like a duck, walks like a duck, but definitely doesn't taste like a duck. Don't eat mergansers, I assure you. Tried them from Lake Erie, not worth it. My point on that is go out, study the candidates, figure out where you stand on abortion. But remember, your vote for federal office is just as important as your vote for state office on the abortion issue as it is on almost any other issue, all right? Uh, all right, have a good night. Take care, guys. See you Sunday.